We're in Foy Harbour on the south coast of Cornwall and we have come for a very special treat. We're surrounded by boats of all shapes and sizes, trees on one side and the houses of Foy Village climbing up the hills. But there's one star of the show and that is Annie of Charlestown. And she is a tall ship and we're going to go on board this tall ship and hear some songs of the sea from a folk supergroup. John Bowden, Seth Lakeman, Emily Portman, Jack Rutter, Ben Nichols have got together to make sea song sessions and they're coming on board the ship to tour from gig to gig along the Cornish coast all this week. And Folk on Foot could not resist the invitation to join them. Good afternoon, good evening and welcome. Hello, I'm Matthew. Matthew, very pleased to meet you. Hi, uh, I'm Phil, Phil, I'm the skipper. This is Alex, he's the co-skipper. And somewhere lurking, hopefully putting the kettle on, if he knows what he's good for him, is the bosun Toby. There he is, there's our man. Hi. Hi. We are the three crew of Annie. Would you like to come aboard? We'd love to come aboard. There's a ladder. There's a ladder there, look. Where's the little step? It's okay to hang on to these, right? Yeah, yeah. And not do anything you like. Okay. <laughs> wonderful. What a wonderful vessel this is. Welcome aboard. Thank uh, you. Yeah, you're very welcome. Hello. Hello. Welcome aboard. You care to join me? <laughs> Hello, I'm Matthew. Hello, nice to meet you. Well, me, how long have you come for? <laughs> Can I take the guitar case? That would be amazing. Yeah. Are you keen to say that, Jack? I think it's <laughs> Welcome on board, Seth. Thank you. Yeah, uh, is this going to be your home for the next few days? This is our home, yeah. It's like floating B&B. Uh, &B. Very kind of them to put us up for almost a week, yeah. Where are you going to go? So we're here for you and we're heading to Lou tomorrow and then we're playing at Charlestown twice, which is a bit further west and then further west again. I think that's the big sail, five hours down to Falmouth. And so it's, it's a mini tour and it's come off. I can't believe it's come off because it's not the easiest thing to put together. Well, yeah. and, and this group is an amazing collection of musicians who presumably you, you haven't, you've all played together in different ways before, but have you all played together as a unit before? Well, it was, it was an idea conjured up for Folkestone Festival. We played two concerts based on sea songs. Ben's conception, really, his idea, and um, yeah, it worked so, so well. Afterwards, we said we must do this again at some point, you know, and it, the idea came... Well, I think it was my idea of let me see if I can chat to Charlestown and we can maybe do this on the water on a tall ship. So, uh, yeah, it was a mad concept, but it, it's worked out. Yeah. yeah. I can't believe we're actually on the Annie now, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, it's a 
It's a very special thing, quite unique. Yeah. Has sailing played a big part in your life? Have you, you know, because obviously you grew up in Devon near Dartmoor, mm. and not far from the sea. Has sailing played any part in your life? I've done a lot of it. You know, I live around Plymouth, and you know, seascape and sea stories have always played a big part in growing up around there. But in terms of being a sailor, <laughs> no, not so much. I'm not. I'm not one for tacking. I'm not great with my sea legs. I go on the Salonian every year, and. Uh, it makes me feel a bit queasy. I'm going to be taking my Stuger on if the weather if the weather turns. Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah. And let's talk about the role of, of sea and folk music because sea is such a big part of English song, isn't it? And and, and indeed song from other parts of the United Kingdom. Yeah, I mean, I think it's quite clear. You know, being an island nation, all these stories are brought in and then taken away. You know, so I think that's where a lot of the stories have come from. And also, I think it conjures up you know, wonderful imagery and it's obviously inspired writers and artists, you know, and I find it a huge inspiration in writing. As we're here on the water right now, you know, what you're listening to, what you're seeing, what you're soaking up all around you is really, really wonderful. And you sing this song, Rambling Sailor. Oh, yeah. He's not a particularly not so wonderful. moral bloke, is he? <laughs> It's definitely not. The rambling involves going from bed to bed. Basically jumping, yeah, it's bed jumping. Port to port, isn't he? I know Portsmouth, Plymouth, uh, basically doing the south coast, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he's not marrying any of the girls, is no, he? No, no, he's not a very honourable man. But uh, I think yeah, that was probably a big part of sailing and their lifestyle back then. So, yes, you're right, the tone of it isn't the best. But I really like the, uh, the song, the tune is fantastic. Yeah. How do you know it? Do you know what? I actually learned from my dad, the Rambling Minor. So he does a version which is based around our area of um, the Tamar Valley. Uh, but the Rambling Sailor is an early version from Maddie Pryor and Tim Harton. So there's lots of different twists of that song. And have, has there been any ego involved in this, uh, putting together these you know, well-known performers in, into a group? Well, if there is, you'll find out on a ship, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be sleeping extremely close yeah, to each yeah. other. It's the first one to go over the side, isn't it? <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Well, I am a sailor, stout and bold. Long time I plowed the ocean to fight for king and country too. For honour and devotion, I said, brother sailors, I bid you adieu. I'm going on board the seas with you. I travelled the country through and through to still be a rambling. Town, there were lasses there. A boldly stepped up to one to court her for her beauty. I said, My dear, be of good cheer. I will not leave you, you need not fear. I traveled the Is there a plenty? A boldly stepped up to one to court and for the money. I said, My dear, what do you choose? Is ale and wine and rum punch too? Besides a pair of new silk shoes to travel with my rambling. 
I left her for an hour or two whilst I go court another. But if she stays till I return, she may stay there till the day of doom. I'll call some the ship. Annie, for a start she's a complete fraud. She was never built as a sailing ship. Originally she was built as a motor fishing vessel. She was built in Denmark in 1930 and then she fished in the North Sea uh, up until about 1972. Then she was bought by a very wealthy German businessman who subsequently converted her into the topsail schooner we see today and used it as his private yacht. The rig is very very authentic because when Dr. Diesel invented his wonderful engine back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, the Danish and the Norwegians and all of the Scandinavians they didn't change the way they built their ships. The shape of this hull is hundreds of years old in design, so these old motor fishing boats lend themselves extremely well to convert back to sailing boats. You just take the engine out, put the mast back in, <laughs> job done. She is a beautiful ship. It's she absolutely gorgeous wood. I mean, that's all, the first thing that strikes me is all this beautiful wood, varnished wood stretching along the gunnels. Uh, would that be a gunnel there? It, it yes. is indeed a gunnel, yes. Yeah, and, and then it's in the masts, obviously two huge masts going up from the centre of the, of the ship and a bowsprit, which is the bit that sticks right out at the front but it sticks out a long way is that unusually long for it it is unusually long for this type of rig but it works very well uh, and it means we can carry extra headsails it's just absolutely beautiful you must spend a lot of time polishing don't you (laughs) a lot of time polishing and five months of the year scraping and varnishing (laughs) yeah she's a labor of love but that's wooden ships you know and then there's rope and That's the other feature of it. I mean, the extraordinary amount of rigging. There's a lot of string. There is here. Yeah. How string. many sails are there? Altogether, we have 11. 10 that we regularly deploy. The other one takes hours to rig, so we kind of skip that one because it's too much, too much like hard work. But the, the other 10 we deploy all the time. Uh, she is a sailing ship, and we do love to sail her. Well, does anyone have to climb the rigging up to the, the top of the mast there? Every day. Yeah, yeah. So you can see on the yards, which is what those horizontal spars are called, uh, you can see on the top two there are in fact two sails that are currently lashed to the yard arm with what we call a sea stow. In order to drop those sails and deploy them, those lashings have to come off and the only way to get them off is to climb aloft and get out on the yard on those foot ropes you can see underneath the yard arm there climb out to the end and undo the ropes and then we can we can deploy those sails so, so you have yeah. to be fairly agile 
Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, th- these guys are in their 20s and 30s. I leave it to them. I go up there once a year in the calm of the harbour just to show them I can. Uh, other than that, I leave it to the younger people. But we regularly have guests climbing and we encourage them to get involved with sailing the ship. And by and large, most people want to get involved. That's why you come on a ship like this, is to that immersive experience of sailing a traditional sailing vessel. And tell me, is this good sailing weather? we're in at the moment this is lovely sailing weather yes it's a stiff breeze isn't it's it a stiff breeze yes so when you see yachtsmen running for home that's when we're going out Annie picks her heels up and goes in about 25 knots of wind so uh, we like to sail in a gale she's a 70 ton ship and uh, she takes a good bit of wind to get her going properly uh, and we do like to to sail her fast so we need a lot of wind and do um, you feel a sense of connection to those mariners who went before because you're in a a ship that's under sail yes do you you feel a sense of history absolutely and that's why if you ask any of us who work on this type of vessel that's why we do it because of that connection with the past because of learning the skills and retaining the skills and keeping the skills alive that you need to sail a ship like this it's not a yacht it is a sailing ship We often get guests on board who have done a lot of sailing. And yes, I have a friend with a yacht in the Solent, you know, and within 20 minutes they go very quiet because they realise it's nothing like ordinary sailing. Incredibly complex compared to ordinary sailing, presumably. Well, it is and it isn't. I mean, you mentioned, Matthew, when you came on board that there's a lot of rope. There is a lot of rope. But if we look just behind you here, we've got what are called pin rails with belaying pins in and all the ropes come down to those belaying pins. Now the same ropes on this pin rail here do the same jobs as the ropes on the after pin rail. So if you know what those ropes do, you know what those ropes do. So once you know the ropes, quite literally, which of course is where the expression expression comes from, then actually raising and lowering, particularly what we call the fore and aft sails, is quite easy. It's the squares that are a little bit more complex and of course a very alien thing to an ordinary yacht sailor, yeah. So how does she earn her living now? What What do you use her for? We charter. So she's privately owned. The gentleman who owns the whole of Charlestown Harbour owns Annie as well. It's it's his baby. Uh, we obviously just man her as paid crew and we take charter guests around the West Country coast. And what about the reaction from people when they see you coming into the harbour? I mean, that must be a wonderful reaction. <sighs> you just know you're going to be on somebody's Facebook page by lunchtime. <laughs> every day. Every single day. She is such a pretty ship and she is always the centre of attraction. There are bigger square rig sailing ships, there are faster square rig sailing ships, but Annie is particularly pretty, and uh, that's one of the reasons we love to sail her. John Bowden's here now. Um, John, you've sung endless sea songs in your time. What makes this project exciting for you and and different? Well, it's the first time I've sung shanties on a boat where they are appropriate. I once did a bit of shanty singing on a punt, actually. That was... (laughs) (laughs) It's not not quite right. Not quite the same scale as this, is it? It's still rhythmical labour, I suppose. But I have done a lot of sea stuff, and I I try to be on top of where it all comes and what it means, but it's a lot of terminology and a lot of technical knowledge, which I have to say comes into my brain briefly and, and and then goes off. So the song you're 
you're going to sing for us yes. is what? It's a cotton screwing shanty. Which what's, is, what's that mean? So I literally just looked this up, so I don't want to give you the impression that I, <laughs> I'm a serious expert. But, but yeah, so it's about stowing the cotton in the hold, which apparently was one of the most physically demanding of the jobs, was to sort of ram it down into the, into the hold. So that's when the shanties came in useful, is when you've got really you know hard physical labor and you're really trying to get the most out of the people putting the effort in and that's where the shanty man because it always seemed incredible to me that there was actually on these ships on salary there was a shanty man you know there, there was someone whose job it was to stand there and sing and I was like what an amazing job you know? <laughs> that's great but and, it must have been a, a key part of productivity but it this is it it was it wasn't just a sort of um hipster kind of <laughs> <laughs> not an entertainment <laughs> no, job no was exactly it? <laughs> it was a proper thing you know get more but, work out of these people yeah, by because, using the rhythm well yeah because you need people to stay in time and you know you spend a lot of hours doing this labor during the day so you know you keep, and it is so it is about keeping them entertained but in a very sort of functional way because it's hard labor it's potentially quite boring labor you know so that those two things combined you're trying to keep everyone pulling at the same time or whatever it is and you do get other shanties so you get capstan shanties which are more on the sort of entertainment end of things because with the capstan shanty you're pushing pushing around slowly you know those this is raising the anchor when yeah you're, exactly. when you're pushing they're, yeah. they're in a team pushing the capstan round to raise the anchor that's right and so it is hard work but it's not there's no sort of need for rhythm in that case that the shanty singing is, is more about keeping the spirits up than keeping people in time but but it's a fascinating thing and I mean the other thing with it is actually the multicultural element of the shanty repertoire because they were international and multicultural environments the tall ships you know so you get the first instance really of African music mixing with western white music you know you get these kind of bluesy elements in it and that's terribly exciting sort of knowing that that predates the sort of um, blues explosion of, of you know the 60s by by what 150 years or whatever so I mean it's just it's a fascinating history musically and socially and economically as well and when you're singing it does it sing differently from from other songs because of the rhythmic nature of it yes I mean actually it's rare in English folk song anyway to get highly rhythmical songs you know you, you get that more in Scottish and Irish music playing with the sense of rhythm with the, the vocal as a, as a sort of rhythmical instrument it's not a massive feature of English folk music that so it's a lot of fun playing with slight syncopation and you know trying to sort of subtly bring a certain amount of funkiness into the way you sing you know and uh, yeah shanties are really good for that oh, lift him up and carry him along find the rainbow far away Set him down where he belongs Find a rainbow far away
So follow me down into the chart house, uh, which is also the crew accommodation and access to the engine room. Okay. So this is a, quite a steep ladder coming down and quite a tight doorway. Yeah, and as you can see, there's not a great deal of space down here. No. So this is, if you like, the control room of the ship. This is our chart room. On the bulkhead here, you can see all, all the instruments. So I've got a radar repeater, a, a chart plotter, a full folio of UK charts in the chart table so I could navigate... Well, anyway, if, if, if the radar goes wrong, <laughs> you get the chart out. <laughs> I, I, I don't. I, well, charts out first. Radar is backup. Okay. Sharp pencil, clear conscience. Um, <laughs> but it's extraordinary to see that in a ship which seems so old, to see all this modern equipment, the banks of, of, of modern electronics down here. Well, that's the beauty of the fact that she was converted. Is that she has cutting edge? Well, it would have been cutting edge in the seventies. It's still very effective modern equipment for such a traditional ship. And what about the dials behind you there? Uh, that's a tide gauge, and that'll tell us when it's high tide and when it's low tide, if it had a battery in, but it hasn't. <laughs> uh, and that is the number one weather forecasting tool. It's a good old fashioned barometer. barometer. Yes. And what's it set for there, rain? Uh, it is set for rain, <laughs> yes, yeah. But you're in Cornwall, welcome to Cornwall. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. We had our two days of summer back in April. <laughs> what happens through that door? Uh, Let's I go will, through there. I will show you, yes, please yeah. follow me. Oh, there's a strong smell of diesel in here. Uh, that'll be because you're stood right next to a very large diesel engine. So uh, this is the ship's engine room. This steel box you we're all leaning on here is actually the generator. So we have a, quite a big, powerful generator to power the ship's systems. And you've got a bit of a skylight here as well, so there's skylight. some natural light there's natural coming lights. in. And do you use the engine mostly for coming in and out of harbour? Yes. Yeah. 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 She's a sailing ship, so if we can get away with sails, we sail we make a safety call when it comes to safety of navigation but actually if we're anchoring or mooring or unmooring or weighing the anchor if we can we do that under sail as well it's a little bit of a competitiveness between my fellow tall ship skippers to see who can outmaneuver the other so if we can sail on and off an anchor we do because it's impressive yeah, and it's good skills, good skills and drills. Because you could presumably be going along at quite a lick and then the anchor brings you up short if you're not We'd careful. We'd never do that, no, <laughs> absolutely not. No, 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 no. That would probably pull the anchor chain out of the anchor locker. Yeah, uh, no, so, so, so getting the timing of the sails coming down and, and stopping the, the yeah, momentum that, is the crucial skill, isn't that's it? That's exactly right, yeah. So it's all about stripping sail away in a measured manner to reduce the ship's speed and to a point where she's pretty much stopped. And then by using the angles of the sails, particularly the square sails, and that's the beauty of a topsail schooner, is that we have those two square sails, they give us great manoeuvrability because we can back them and then they act as a brake. So we literally deploy the squares, back them into the wind and put the brakes on until she stops, drop the anchor, brail away the squares, job done. Okay, sounds easy. Very, it? No, it sounds easy when you describe it, but I'm imagining it's quite a complex task of timing it's a complex task of timing it's a complex teamwork task as well we all have to be in sync with each other we all have to be relying on our own abilities you know they rely on me to steer the right way i rely on them to put the sails up and down in the right order with the right timings so now if we leave the engine room, we have to go back up, presumably, and out onto yeah, the deck. There's no throughway below deck, so it's back out onto the deck. And don't look too closely at the skipper's bunk and the mate's bunk, because we didn't tidy up before you arrived. <laughs> Bit of a mess. But that's your bunk in here, is it? 
Skipper's bunk on the starboard side there, uh, mate's bunk on the port side behind you, and the deckhand's bunk, believe it or not, is here in the back of the wardrobe. Crikey. So, yeah. But he's quite a big bloke. So can he really get in there? He, he, that extends all the way back into the uh, what an area that we call the lazarette, which is a stowage area under the after deck. And he sleeps literally in the back of the wardrobe, which is why we call it Narnia. Okay. <laughs> so the deckhand sleeps in Narnia. You must okay. get to know each other really well down here because they're very intimate. It is very quarters, intimate, aren't they? Yes, yeah. yes, indeed. And I seem to be in quite close proximity to Kobe's feet most of the time, <laughs> which is not pleasant. I can imagine. Here's Ben, who plays lots of instruments, but most often you see him with a double bass. How are you feeling about the voyage you're about to undertake on board this beautiful ship? Uh, I'm it's just slightly kind of petrified and excited all at the same time. Because <laughs> <laughs> it moves, doesn't it, under it you? It does, and, yeah, and we're still sort of moored up at the moment. So once we're out there, I think we've got three-hour sail tomorrow so ask me at the other end and i'll let you know <laughs> and and how are you as a sailor have you done any sailing before in your life not really which i know is tricky because i've done a lot of sailing related musical ventures the only thing i can say i come from a long line of sailors oh, do you yes all up from around liverpool one of my ancestors was the first captain on a ship to sail a steel rig ship around cape horn wow there's this brilliant article about it being launched up north of liverpool and all the town come out because they've never had a steel rig ship. They're all laughing, going, that's going to sink. Anyway, sails off. He gets all the way around Cape Horn, up to Valparaiso, comes all the way back, runs aground on a sandbank off the coast of Ireland and sunk the ship. <laughs> well, let's hope that's not a bad omen for your voyage. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but sailing has not been in your blood. But sea music has. Why has sea music attracted you so much? Well, look, there's, I... a, there's a boat rowing past rather beautifully. <laughs> I think it's a gig, apparently. And, uh, <laughs> Us musicians and, love a gig. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that's an awful joke. So rowed by uh, six people with a cox and a light now, because the light's coming down a bit darker. Anyway, I just thought people might hear the oars as they went past. But it, why has sea music meant something to you? I guess my initial interest came... I always love to look in second-hand bookshops on tour, and I stumbled into this book, um, which was... It was basically the story of the... London Missionary Society, who were sending out missionaries sort of the end of the 18th century into the 19th century. And obviously that was the other side of the world back then, and there was no communications. These people would be gone for years often. And they dropped off some missionaries in Tahiti, and it was about 20 years since the London Missionary Society had heard from these people at all. And they tried to send various ships, there's various wars going on, uh, and the ships kept getting caught or stopped as they're going around. So in the end, they chartered a few places on this whaling ship. They stuck some missionaries on there to go around into the Pacific and go and find out what had happened to them. And this book was just the story of what happened on this ship. I and mean, it, it just got me totally sucked in. And that led into musical adventures too? That led into the Kings of the South Seas band. So. After that, I then started looking into, you know, whaling material. But having read this book, it very rapidly spun off into all the missionary hymns, the good and the bad ones. Obviously, there was a lot of missionary hymns that were fundraising and casting lots of the locals on these islands in a very bad light to try and get funds in. So it's a case of spinning all of those things together and finding, you know, there's lots and lots of this music out there. And there's lots of it which is it's not sung anymore because it's 
very esoteric music of its day and finding a, a musical version of it which worked. And what are you going to sing for us today? Well, I mean, that sort of leads on from there. It's a broadside called The Mermaid Song. It's a story about a sailor who's run into some mermaids and the mermaids are trying to entice him off the ship and he's having a dilemma whether his life would be better with the mermaids or whether maybe he should stay at home with his family. Okay, thank you very much. Okay. Now the dancing zombies play On the green and glassy sea If you'd like to follow me forward, we'll yes. go down the main saloon and have a look at the master cabin. Okay. Backwards, please. It's very steep. Just down through a hatch. Yeah. And here's the galley. There's the galley. With the, with the chef. Are you making the tea? I'd love some tea, actually. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Two teas. Two teas would be great. Thank you. There's a, a lovely semicircular bench with cushions and yeah. an oval polished table. So is this where you have your meals when but you're? This in, is where we all sit and on eat. Board? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, even if we have guests on board, we sit and eat as a crew. So um, we all get around this table, and we have had as many as 14 people around this table. Wow. Uh, it's a bit tight, but um, it's a nice big table, and it bears a secret. Oh. 
<laughs> storage in the middle and they've got a bottle of scotch and the, or is it rum it should be rum surely on board here and the cutlery tray all in underneath the panel in the center of the of the table and there's a lovely stove here in the corner yeah this is a reflex diesel stove so as i mentioned earlier on annie was built as a fishing vessel but then converted into the sailing ship we see today by a, a German businessman. And he then operated her in quite northern latitudes, up around the Lofoten Islands and the north of the Baltic. So she has a very comprehensive heating system. The reflex heater here also heats a water system, which will heat radiators throughout the boat. All of the bunks and berths have got water pipes underneath them to warm the beds. And we have a full central heating boiler back aft as well and the main engine heats the water for the radiators as well so we do be quite keep, snug and cozy we in keep here. snug and cozy yeah. yeah yeah we definitely do now, i don't want to get this wrong is this a ship or a boat ah now there's a very emotive question that to which i'm going to give you a very woolly answer yes <laughs> thank you very much that clears things up completely <laughs> I, there is probably a definitive answer of where it stops being a boat and becomes a ship in my experience and i have been at sea for 46 years now and worked on very large ships and very small yachts and everything in between annie to me is a little ship not a big boat and that's the way she's laid out the very demeanour of her, to me, as a seaman, says that she's a ship, not a boat. And what uh, qualifies for a tall ship? Is that just about the size of the mast? or? Uh, no, it's a generic term for pretty much any traditional ship. And what drew you to sea at first when you started out 46 years ago? I'd never, ever contemplated anything else, to be honest with you. I, Where I were grew you growing up, up? I grew up in Brixham, which is a, a thriving fishing port. I left school when I was 14 and jumped onto the deck of a beam trawler, as we all did. It was just the done thing. And it never occurred to me to do anything else other than go to sea. My father was a merchant seaman. His father was a merchant seaman. Yeah, so I, I've, I've been at sea since I was 14 and I'm now the big 6-0 so, and still here. <laughs> I mean, it can be quite a hard life, though, can't it? It can be indeed, yeah. Fishing was particularly vigorous and is still one of the most dangerous professions in the country. I got out of fishing when I was what, 17. I was 17 when I realised there was probably more to life than gutting haddock in the western approaches at two o'clock in the morning. So I got out of fishing and joined the Navy. That turned out to be quite hazardous as well. But did you see action in the Navy? I, I did, yes. I fought in the Falklands in 1982. And so uh, it was shortly after that that I left the Navy and went back fishing because that to me was safer uh, yes. than trying to be vaporised by the Argentinians. And then a bit of merchant Navy, then actually rejoined the Royal Navy. And 17 years ago, I left the Navy and I've been messing around on these things ever since. And, and so one of the things we're here to talk about is music and the sea. Has music played a role in, in your experience of the sea? It does, uh, but perhaps not in the way you might imagine. I think it's a popular misconception that on square rig sailing ships and traditional tall ships like this that we're singing shanties all of the time as we heave on the capstan bars and haul away on the yard arms. Rubbish. No, <laughs> absolutely, we haven't got time for that. <laughs> but so, that used to happen. That used to happen, very much so, yes. But absolutely. that's when they had larger crews, presumably, and larger, larger ships. Larger crews, and they needed the timing of the music as well to get the crew in sync for doing those heavy hauling jobs we tend not to do that these days but on completion of the day's work be it on the deck with a bottle of beer or in the pub then yeah we sing and as you can see we carry a couple of guitars here on annie 
Kobe the deckhand is an accomplished guitarist. If we're set and we're sailing along nicely in a groove, then he'll just sit and tinkle away and we'll sing away with some old rubbish, but not shanties. That's very cliche. <laughs> oh, what a shame. <laughs> I'm very upset now because I was hoping you guys would give me a quick round of, uh, of a shanty, but we rely on the professionals I for that. I think we should rely on the professionals. If you want to hear me sing, I need to get in the shower. <laughs> OK, well, maybe later. Yeah. Maybe later. What happens through here? Well, come forward and have a look. This is the master cabin. So you can see we have this magnificent uh, double bed, uh, beautifully crafted with mahogany. And we're not entirely sure what the collection of corks stuck to the deck head is all about, but it's a nice feature. Yes, uh, presumably good bottles that have been consumed good, on board. Yeah, well, that's a lot the, of bottles. That they are, yeah. and just right above their heads as they're sleeping, they can look up at all the all the wine corks stuck to the ceiling. Indeed. But again, you can see the joinery is, is beautiful. The knees and the, the scantlings there between the beams are, are just... Um, beautifully crafted and then there's another bunk that's been placed across the double bed again efficiency here so you can get a third person into the room yep we can get a third person into the room as well and as you rightly say every scrap of space has been effectively used so this will, will fold up out of the way when it's not in use and lowers down again when we want the third berth. So if we have families on board, they can bring a child with them and sleep as a family in here. We're going to have three musicians who know each other very well, I hope, because they don't now, <laughs> but down together they here, will do they? by Friday, yeah. <laughs> and, and you've got these drawers underneath, so it's storage underneath again, right under the bunk, All beautifully the made in, in the mahogany. Yes, yeah, yeah. So this is the base of the oh. foremast. Oh, the mast comes down yeah. into, the, the, into mast the cabin. The extends here. down into the cabin and is seated on the keel itself. So it's what's called a keel-stepped mast, which makes it very strong, very stable. That's a great piece of wood, isn't it? Beautiful really. piece of wood. And being the master cabin, they get the luxury of their own sink as well. Very nice indeed, and a mirror to do your makeup in. Or um, I frequently shave. do my makeup <laughs> in that mirror. Yes, yes, that's right. This is a song called "Rock and Roll Me Over," and it's a a river song. So quite apt. Oh, roll me across the river. I heard a young girl say, roll me to my lover one more day. One more day for Johnny, one more day. Oh, rock and roll me over one more day. Tell 
Only one more day for Johnny. One more day. Oh, rock and roll me over. One more day. One more day for Johnny. One more day. Oh, rock and roll me over. One more day. So it's Emily Portman. Emily, how lovely to see you. And uh, how are you feeling about the voyage you're undertaking? I'm getting my sea legs now. I can feel that, that swaying motion is a little bit like you've just spun round and you, you're a bit dizzy, isn't it? So I'm getting used to the sway. Have you sailed a lot in your life? A little. I used to go on holidays to the Lake District where my grandparents lived and went on some sailing boats, but nothing as big as this. Just little sailing dinghies on Lake Coniston. So we've been talking about the place of sea songs in the folk music world and in sort of British history. It's a very significant part of our history, really, isn't it? The sea song. Yeah, absolutely. I think as a seafaring island (laughs) it's definitely a really significant part and it's interesting to me how these songs have evolved as well in folk music and a lot of I know obviously there are still people singing them but they're also being used in community settings you know in choirs and I've used them over the years and they've been really useful songs in schools you know with a load of year seven boys in Hartlepool or whatever and they actually they go down so well as, as those kind of songs that bring people together and everybody gets stuck into it. they seem to have a real contemporary appeal I guess to a lot of different age groups well it was incredible the way that the sea shanties took off on TikTok exactly wasn't it I mean, yeah. just absolutely incredible and th- yeah. there must be something about I think it was during the pandemic and there was something about them bringing people together when yeah. they were so isolated I know, I've got a a friend actually and and their little boy has just started singing sea shanties and I think he found them on TikTok and I was so delighted to be able to say, oh, have you heard this one? (laughs) Is it on TikTok? No, you know, maybe not, but it's lovely to find, you know, that people are finding different ways in to singing the stuff really because I think it needs to be sung. When you you started to think about your contribution to this project how did you set about deciding what songs you wanted to bring to it well I was lucky enough to have Lou Killen as one of my teachers she taught me singing and Lou went on boats and and was you know at the forefront of the second wave folk revival and when she died she left me a load of books which was amazing and I actually hadn't been through a lot of the sea song books and so I really cherished that moment where I got to get the sea song books out and the one that I sang today Rock and Romeo Over was from one of Lou's books and it was Shanties from the Seven Seas by Stan Hugill who was himself a shanty man. And what about this particular song? Why did it recommend itself to you? Well, I was leafing through and it struck me. I know a version, One More Day, 
of the sea shanty and I've known it for years and, and sang it for years and then I spotted a slightly different version, this Rock and Romeo version, and it said in the description that it's a river song sung on the riverboats, um, I think in America, although obviously these songs really travelled far and wide. And I live right next to the River Mersey, and I just thought, oh, a river song, you know, that's lovely. And it spoke to me, and it's a song from a female perspective as well, and so it's about... It says a young girl, she's she's kind of yearning for her lover. And I think living in Liverpool, you hear stories of, you know, the sailors going away for, for months and years, you know, while women were back home just holding fort, doing everything, looking after the kids, keeping the household running. But this is about, you know, her. She's fallen for this boy and he has this hankering to go to sea and she's saying, no, don't don't go you know just stay here it's great here and I loved her kind of strong voice really spoke to me that she was full of kind of life and yearning and and love for this guy she was saying row me across the river and I was imagining being rowed across the Mersey in order to to go and see her first love so and I wondered if the world of sea songs was a bit sexist sometimes because we talked to Seth about Rambling Sailor, you know, who's oh, a yeah. bit of a rogue, isn't he? I mean, this chap bed hopping his way down the coast. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Disgraceful. So I wonder if, the, you know, when you look at the repertoire, you think, oh, this is all so often from a male perspective, not from there a female are, perspective. There are a lot of, yeah, very testosterone driven songs about gallivanting. And I guess I was aware as the only woman in the crew that I wanted to sing some songs from the female perspective so there's a, another song about a woman who dresses up in man's clothing this is quite order. a common theme isn't yeah, it yeah I mean Jack sings Young Susan which is also on that theme and although it seems quite far-fetched it happened there was a woman called Hannah Snell who dressed up in disguise in order to go and find some adventure and there are women who went to war and went to sea and you know female drummers and there are songs that that kind of reflect this only one more day for Johnny one more day and what about living on a boat with these blokes how do you think that's going to be? Well, it's pretty snug down there, but I've, I've uh, claimed my top bunk bed. <laughs> <laughs> Jack, it's lovely to see you on the Thank deck you. of this ship. Yeah, um, it's a wonderful thing. Are you settled in now, down below? Yeah, we've uh, had a little sit down there, and John said, hey, we might be a nice idea to play a tune. So we've played a tune or two down there and gone, this is potentially one of the greatest sounding rooms ever, because it's just you know just a massive room of wood. Fantastic. So actually, playing guitar down there now, chatting to people, has been a wonderful thing. And what, what is the role of sea songs in your musical history i mean are you a, a, a regular performer of sea songs or was this something where you had to think more carefully there's been a, yeah, an amount of sea songs in my repertoire for a while i suppose in a way my kind of introduction to this whole music came first from the festival near my house which is shepley spring festival so which is much more obviously a land-based festival in the middle of west yorkshire but then that summer when I first kind of got into this whole folk thing I was taken by my friends to Whitby Folk Week which is where this kind of cemented my 
oh, I really, really like this. I mean, what better place to encounter sea songs? Yeah, exactly, totally, <laughs> totally. Yeah. Uh, and, and so when you were thinking about what, what song to sing here, yeah. how did you approach that? Well, first of all, one of the songs on the album is called Young Susan on Board of a Man of War. I recorded that a few years ago now on my first album, but as soon as you know, we had this idea, I thought that one would work really well. I would love to hear Ben Nichols playing bass on that, or Seth playing fiddle on it as well, and then Emily's Amazing Harmonies and stuff on the chorus. And it's from Frank Kidson's traditional tunes, and Frank Kidson was a one of these Victorian collecting chaps who was very interested in a lot of Yorkshire songs. It said something in the book about this song was very popular among the seafaring classes of Hull. So right. yeah, that one's from kind of around... And, and Susan so. does what in the song? Well, Susan's chap goes off to sea. Susan isn't best pleased about this. She thinks that's a bit poor form, really. So she um, follows him, dressed up um, as a sailor. And actually, she has quite a great time of it on the boat on her own being a sailor and like different battles and that and then one day she gets hit by a cannonball and she goes oh that hurt and then her chap William comes over and goes it's you and you've been injured and then she goes yeah but I've been quite good at being a sailor and then they go and get married so as with lots of folk songs quite a simple story but you know effective over the course of yeah and a lot of interesting things in there aren't there about women's liberation and women's identity and and so on yeah Yeah. and and what about the song that you're going to sing for us here so that one is called the dreadnought and i specifically um, found this one for this project Um, i really wanted just had an idea for a song with a big chorus on it that i fancied that everybody could join in with you know in the band and also audience members and i liked in a way it's kind of vague it's just like a lot of people going on a boat going westwards like going you know, crossing the atlantic and i quite liked all the different little pockets and parcels of people involved in the song who are all just making their own little claim for going and doing something else with their life i just want to say how atmospheric it is sitting here with you jack yeah, on the totally, deck yeah. of the annie yeah because the night has fallen and the lights have come on on the ship yeah. and in the houses around the foy harbor yeah. And we're sitting in the stern of the ship, just by the big steering wheel and under a sail. And you can just hear the lapping of the water in the background yeah. and the odd engine of a boat. And you it's know, rather the, nice, isn't it? It's like, you know, you know the book, The Mousel Cat, that, um, like the children's book with the amazing illustrations and everything of like, you know, the, the southwest coast like at night time. It kind of, it's got that kind of feel with the like, yeah, the nice multicolored lights over there but then all the little houses like, it's not quite dark enough for everybody to have room to shut the curtains yet as well so it's that kind of yeah it's a lovely vibe Well, 
standing now on the prow of the vessel. I wonder if you could just describe what the experience is like of being under sail with a good, stiff wind blowing you along. What does it feel like? It is exhilarating and it is like no other feeling on earth and this is the place to be when we are under sail. It's quiet, you just get a wonderful sense of momentum, the noise of the sea breaking on the prow of the ship itself, the bow, the stem carving its way through the sea. I'm not going to get complacent but we normally get dolphins most days and to watch the dolphins playing in the wake of the ship at the bow they play in the pressure wave that the bow creates and it's wonderful and to then just look up at the sails as they're set above you feel the ship surging through the water watching the dolphins it's magical absolutely magical Phil, it's been a joy. Thanks so much for showing us around your beautiful ship. You're very, very welcome. And please don't hesitate to uh, ask for another cup of tea if you want to. (laughs) I will. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. John Bowden, Seth Lakeman, Ben Nichols, Emily Portman and Jack Rutter aboard the tall ship Annie of Charlestown in Foy Harbour. And if you want to see them in action, well, you just need to sign up to become a Folk on Foot hero because we filmed the five songs that they performed for us on board the ship and we've added them to our Folk on Foot on Film archive, which is exclusively available to our Folk on Foot heroes. And if you become one of them, you will also go into the draw for our amazing Folk on Foot front room gigs, which happen every two months and feature some of the leading folk artists that we've walked with. And they're live on Zoom, and the audience is limited to just 10 people. But you could be one of those if you become a Folk on Foot hero. For more details and to sign up, go to patreon.com slash folk on foot that's patreon.com slash folk on foot it'll cost you 10 pounds a month a mere 10 pounds a month and every penny that you give will go back into making more episodes of this glorious podcast (laughs) 